Welcome to Hughes of Leadership Podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us? And how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like hues vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues are you using today? And which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Minifee, Chief Enrollment Officer at Susquehanna University, and also the Chief Impact Officer for the Menifee Duarte Consulting Group. And I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In season one, we'll focus on people of influence, specifically those that have had a major impact on my leadership lens and philosophy. So it is an honor and a privilege to introduce uh, my brother from another mother here in a second uh, as a guest. Uh, my brother from another mother currently serves as a director of strategic partnerships of the Golden Apple Foundation, which honors, develops, and trains teachers in Illinois. Golden Apple is an innovator of teacher preparation in Illinois and prepares effective teachers for 2.3 million students who are in need in Illinois. He focuses on improving K-12 partnerships, business development, and donor engagement, in part-time because of his awesomeness as a leader. He also serves as the leadership cohort facilitator for the Young Nonprofit Network, the Chicago chapter, which seeks to provide affordable professional development for nonprofit professionals. And before joining the foundation, he served as a regional admission counselor for Western Illinois University. We were blessed to have a chance to work together. And he holds a bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of St. Francis and a master's in leadership studies in higher education from North Central College. I want to welcome my big bro, Corey Richardson, to the show. What's up, man? You know, I really appreciate that intro because, you know, you say we were blessed to work together. But let's be clear, DJ, you were the re you were the reason I was in the room. I remember what you said to uh, Dr. Boris. You're like, look, just get in the room with you. And I'm, I'm not going to have to be a part of the process, but you're going to love them. And, and like that set me up to where I am now. So I am very grateful uh, for your influence in my life, but also to the ability to support you as you move forth and do new things. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. Well, I'm excited about our conversation for our guest today. And as a reminder to our guests, uh, it's a practice for, for me to get together with uh, each guest to just connect on what leadership hues they would like to cover today. And so I'm really excited about the thought-provoking topics that, that Corey has for us today. And so I'm going to get ready to transition into the three. Uh, and we're going to get started with the first hue. So the first hue that Corey I wanted to unpack for you all as a guest today is communication and specifically the feedback and selling of one's ideas. And so, Corey, if you wouldn't mind not only unpacking that as far as more broadly speaking to what you mean by that, but then also helping our audience understand what that looks like in your day to day. OK, so we'll do it in two pieces. So first is the feedback piece. And one of the books I really love is Stone and Hen. Uh, Thanks for the feedback. And they do a really good job of making feedback a normal process. Most of the time, feedback comes in the performance review, which is really not a performance review. It's a compensation conversation, right? Figure out, like, how much more are you going to pay me next year after what I've done for you this time? And I think the feedback piece is people see it as a negative term, but it's really not. And so one of the things, key takeaways they do is you need to, uh, almost like you need to qualify a person for a sale. The same thing, you need to qualify what feedback you're giving. It's either going to be coaching, evaluation, or it's going to be some type of appreciation. Or gratitude. And I think people, gratitude, showing gratitude is feedback, right? And how you do that is getting really narrow on why you're saying something to somebody and not giving someone the proverbial, you know, bad sandwich of like, you did great. This is what I really want to talk about. 
And this is the other thing that you're also great at, but people get left with that bad taste in their mouth. Um, and I think uh, Kim Scott uh, does a really good job of radical candor saying there should be no sandwich in the feedback. You should be able to give it concisely and give like, this is what you're doing great. I want you to focus on this because I believe this is the next step for you. But you're giving someone a rationalization of why I'm coming hard at you versus just saying that was wrong, fix that. While that's feedback, that's not helpful. That is more transactional rather than transformational. And I think as leaders, you have a duty to how can you transform your staff, your team to move to that next step. And then that brings me to the second point is selling. Uh, in my current role right now, I am kind of like the chief salesperson for the organization. I go out and I talk to people about like why they should partner with Golden Apple because we do have a program fee model here with the foundation as well as we seek to grow uh, larger to become a material solution to the teacher shortage. Uh, and so in that little nugget there, there's something called the challenger sales model. And when I took this job, never did sales a day in my life. And so I knew a part of this job was going to require me to learn and not just casually, but aggressively, ferociously. And so I kept reaching out to all these things, but I love the challenger model because they wanted you to listen, uh, listen, learn, and teach. And if you can teach somebody something before they pay you, you have a customer for a very long time. And so I take that same mentality of like, how can I sell this idea to my team? Because leading with authority, while it does work, is not sustainable. It doesn't get you zealots in the organization. People only see titles, they don't see the people. And so for me, it's like, if you can sell somebody on that idea of like, this is why we're going this direction. Or the next time, just think about the next time you hear anybody saying the company's doing this, they never sell it. They just say, we're doing this. I'm your boss. This is what we're doing. And so you, therefore, you set the table, you set the floor, I'm going to sit on the floor. Versus you coming to me and saying like, this is the idea. This is the direction we're going to go in. And this is why we're doing it. And let me tell me what that's going to do to impact you on your end. For you, you're with us. What's in it for you, right? What's doing that? Those are two dramatically different approaches. The second one does take more time. And I totally get it. I can definitely be wrong on this approach. However, we've all had that manager or CEO. He's just like, God, dang, if they would just tell me why we're doing this, right? Because if, if, if they approach it like a salesperson, a salesperson only ends the deal when they separate someone from their money or their signature. And so if I sign off saying, like, I'm about this plan, you have sold me. But if I'm just here because you pay me, you're not going to get the full me, right? And I think that that that's the hard part after I've closed 15 deals this year, which was a record for us. I've learned you have to uh, listen, learn, but you still have to challenge that person. So I think communication, that's a key for me. I want to I want to make sure I pull some threads through for our audience, uh, because as expected, you're dropping some dimes for us. So the, the piece that I want to initially go back to is within the realm of feedback and you reference transformative versus or over transactional, right? Yeah. And so this notion of not only providing thoughtful, timely, and you I think you referenced narrow, I'm going to say specific feedback. Um, it's also in trying to do it within a way that not only are they receptive, but they're stepping into the moment with you, which makes it transformative. And so I wanted to make sure that I, I pulled that thread out for our audience, because as you were saying that, that just stood out to me in so many ways and thinking through how can I, if and when I am providing feedback or coaching uh, those that are in my care, how do I do so in a way 
that is engaging, that is transformative versus uh, in an instance, them feeling like they're they're kind of receiving something negative and woe is me, I had an accident, but but truly trying to make it a transformative experience for them. So I really appreciate you dropping that dime. Yeah, and I think it's it's like uh, every book has a forward. Your feedback needs to have a forward. So if you're saying like, hey, on a coaching piece, I think you did really great on this. I really want to see what, how you play with that. Another uh, almost like a metronome that we tend to use is I like, I wish, I wonder. You know what, DJ? I like the way you introduced me today. It really made me feel connected to you. I really wish that we can have a longer session so we can have some of these conversations and also wonder how would this podcast be different if we had two guests or three guests at the same time? What challenges would that give you? But I'm able to say, I'd like this. I wish it could be like this. And I wonder what would happen if we did that. That feels better sometimes, not all the time, because sometimes it do mess up. That feels better than like, you messed this up, please fix this, send that to me when you get done. That's transactional. And sometimes it has to be that way just based on speed. But that's what the reality is. This is the aspiration of it. Because if you had your employer or your supervisor say, I think you didn't do this right. This is why. I want you to do this in this way because I believe you can do X, Y, Z afterwards. I believe this will be a workforce multiplier after giving you this feedback. I believe this will eliminate bad habits. I had a habit of writing emails too fast and not reading them historically. So now my boss gave me that feedback, but also too, I now thinking back on it, what steps could she do? And she gave me one and it's called, um, you know, very much where I grew up is like the whole adage that like, keep your name out of somebody's mouth, right? And so anytime I write any of my coworkers' name in an email, I CC them. It's a habit. And so it's like a cue, craving, response, reward. It's atomic habits. James Clear really coined that. And so the cue is I write your name. The craving is I crave transparency overall. I don't want anybody coming at me sideways because I don't respond well. I know myself, right? And so the response is I'm going to CC you. And the reward is we ain't got to worry about the smoke. I'm, I'm not about it. So, you know, if everybody's at the table, you were CC'd on that, Daryl. So uh, thank you for giving back to me two months later. But I digress. Our guests, our audience, please add the smoke to your list and add the transparency nugget as well. Um, one of the things I wanted to come back to before we move on to, to Hugh number two is, is you talked about this notion of how one could sell an idea um, and in many ways how that shows up in your work directly as somebody who is the in a leadership capacity for uh, that in your organization. Can you share any instances where a member of uh, your organization was in a space where they were maybe pitching or presenting on an idea um, how does what is Corey thinking about in that moment? Is it aligned with some of the other threads that you've referenced before? Um, like walk us through, let our audience get some insight into Corey's mind when Corey is in a space where one of his teammates uh, and they don't have to report directly to you, but you hear them sharing or proposing, trying to attempt to sell an idea. What are you thinking about? I think when you're selling any idea before you start to sell, you need to qualify. You need to ask great questions. And so uh, we recently moved to a new database and one our now vice president of data and accountability, she sat down with a lot of people, but not everybody to ask questions like, how do you use the database? What are you doing and to make a system? And so when I saw that, one of the things I realized is 
we're making the system based on what it was or not what it should be or could be. And so instead of making a system that requires people to do more work, we are getting more technologically advanced. If a robot can do it, I want to pay a robot to do it. So that way I can do more creative stuff like this with you, DJ. And so I think in that moment, when selling that idea is trying to figure out how you need to dramatically paint the picture of how this will change this person's working life. And so for me at Golden Apple, when it comes time to working with school districts, I don't talk about the money as much, but I do, like at the end we do, um, I really focus on like, how is this going to change their day-to-day -day life? And one example, real quick, uh, 90 seconds, when I was on a call with somebody and they said, you know what, I don't think this is worth it. Uh, we can do this ourselves and X, Y, Z. Um, but I knew he was checking emails on Sundays and Saturdays. He was working. And I knew, based on the conversation we had, he has two young children on the eight. And so I asked him, I was like, what would you do if I gave you five more hours back in your professional and personal life? He said, well, I would do more stuff in teacher recruitment. And quite frankly, I would go to more of my kids' uh, soccer games. I missed a couple of them for recruitment fairs one. I was like, great. I'm going to save you 15 hours a month, every month, and it's not going to cost you anything. But if you do it on your own, I don't know where you're going to spend that time. And so I painted this picture for him. I was like, look, I know you're a Barcelona fan because he had the, you know, he had the jersey in the background. And so what I did was it was less about me and more about how is this going to change this guy's life, right? How is this going to make David feel a bit better? How is David going to get a little bit less grief from his partner when he's checking emails at dinner or whatnot? Getting that granular. Because when you get that granular, you have no choice but to feel it. And that's where the sale starts. It doesn't start with the end. It starts with the beginning. Wow. I, I appreciate you using that example specifically in your awareness of how the other individual that you were engaging was navigating life and not just life in terms of the work, but life in terms of the personal life as well. Right. And, and trying to add value to them in that space. Let's, let's transition to cue number two. Okay. Cue number two is the art of gathering and, and through a lens of how we come together in space. So again, I'm going I'm to turn the keys over to you. You know, imagine we're in, the fly staying coming, which is the 1985 DeLorean from Back to the Future. And <laughs> enlighten us, my brother, enlighten us. Okay, so one of the things I think is really huge is that the pandemic taught us the power of gatherings. Uh, and I have to give all credit to Priya Parker. Uh, she is an amazing writer um, and is really a world-class gatherer. And I think most people, when we think about meetings, meetings are a gathering space. And so I think for us is we lack a lot of purpose in our meetings. We meet because that's what we're supposed to do. We don't have a, and if we do have an agenda, the agenda doesn't usually be purposeful. It's usually reporting out of what's happening. It's not leading to creative ideas. It's not a, a civil discourse that's allowing us to think more uh, critically. And so one of the things that she really does is, she says, most events in your life lack purpose, right? And so what we noticed is in this shift that when we went virtual, now employers all across the world, across all industries are trying to have people come back. And they had people like myself, I was very much so, I had a wildly productive pandemic virtually. I did not have to travel. I, my budget line item was like less than, you know, my value versus my impact and what I cost, out the game. So you tell me why I need to come in the office, right? And I thought to myself, like, no one, one, sold that idea well, right? Of like, you're going to come to the office, but like, you're going to come to the office and you're going to, um, you're going to network with other people, but we're all coming to the office on separate days. So you're only with your team, right? And we want something that we once had before, but I think if we can do some 
aspects of how we can bring more intentionality into the room, how we can prime people coming to the office space for things would be huge. And so instead of me saying, hey, I need you to come to office once a week, it could be, I need you to come to office once a week on a Tuesday with your three most pressing issues. I need you to come to the next staff meeting with three pieces of information that will make everyone on our call more dangerous when they're talking to outside constituents. And that changes the narrative of we're coming here to talk about the work is like, not. Nah, I need you to come to the table a little bit more purpose and not in the holier than now purpose, but very small and finite where people can measure it saying like, yes, this is why I need to be in the room. So I'll give you one example she gives in the book and it, it really changed how I'm gonna do my baby shower from her blessed from the child. And she said, most people, when you think of a baby shower, you think of a group of women around and she asked, what was the purpose of that? And so they say, you know, it's, it's a great place for women to connect with each other. Uh, it's great for us to celebrate the birth of a new child. Uh, it's a great way to pass on, like, these are things you should do as a mom. And then she asked, she's like, but what about my husband? Like, is there the, the same aspect of like, is there a dad's, you know, baby shower? They're like, look here, homie, this is what you need to do to keep these bottles clean. This is what you need to do. And she was like, no, there's not. And so what that represents is, it represents the baby shower is of a woman becoming a mother, but that's it. But then the other person, that relationship is not represented. So she said, no, I want our baby shower to say, this is a couple going from a couple to a family. And so therefore the purpose of that event and who we invite and why we invite them are different. And so therefore, when you get invited to this baby shower one day, God bless it, it's not gonna be like, oh, it's gonna be the ladies like, nah, big dog, this is where I need your help. I need your guidance, your nuggets of, of, of wisdom on that piece. And so when we think about that little shift in purpose, if we work backward, what's the purpose of this meeting right now? Not that it's gotta happen, it's on the schedule. I think that can definitely change, especially as we're trying to get people to come back into the workspace. You need to communicate and sell value. And you can only do that with purpose. You can't do it with like the purpose of you coming in the office is to have these one-off conversations, but you also have to give them a reason on, you have to inform them why they're missing this. What's that missing connection, right? If you come in the office, you'll be able to do X, Y, Z more. If you come in the office, you'll be able to do this more, not just saying come back in the office because it's good for culture. First and foremost, when you and your queen are blessed to have an addition to your family, say less, bro. You know, we in there like swimwear, we there. Whole crew. Uh, now, back to the purpose at hand. Um, I'm curious, as you've walked us through a purposeful focus on gathering and intentionality behind gathering, um, and you use meetings as an example. So let's use your environment. Let's use your work as an example. Again, I want the audience, I want the guests to be able to look through your lens through this hue of leadership. So you got a, a meeting on Thursday this week. You're mm -hmm. leading and facilitating the meeting for your team. How are you making sure that there's intentionality behind it? How are you making sure that it's purposeful and not just a reporting out, not just a standard time because we're just supposed to meet? What does that look like for Corey? Well, it depends on how big the meeting is, right? If it's something substantial, that we're, we're challenging new ideas, yeah, it's going to be a different vibe. And if it's something like, this is ordinary, but, you know, we need to, need, need to talk about it and whatnot. So obviously, when you have the time, you're going to make the agenda, right? You're going to make the agenda. You're going to say why you're invited. And then when you send that calendar invite, I usually do a list. Hey, these are the five people coming to this meeting. This is what I need from you. This is why, this is the, this is the value I think you're bringing to this conversation. 
So we have uh, we just recently facilitated better help to give free therapy to 200 of our first and second year teachers. So now I'm working with our data person because I believe she has a great insight to how we can do assessment to see if this works and how we can expand this because it's close to about $150,000 gift that we're getting from them to give teachers support in the hardest moments when the sun goes down at three. Like they go to school in the dark and they leave school in the dark, right? And then I also need to pull my mentoring people because they have a direct beeline on that. But I communicate to them, this is your specialty. I need you at the table. So we do that and the agenda. And But when we get in the room, it's something called, we learned at Northwestern in the sales uh, course we took, um, it's called a purpose benefit check. And I do it before every sales call I do with everybody. So I say the purpose of this call is we're trying to figure out how we can create more value for you and X, Y, Z. The benefit is you'll have more information on this. You'll understand what this program will mean for you. And same thing for my internal team. The benefit is we'll have a plan to communicate to the CEO and also what we can do for our students. And then I do a check. And the check is actually, if it's on Zoom, I need a thumbs up. I need a physical thumbs up from you because I need your consent to say you agreed to that. No emoji? Okay. They can't do the emoji? I mean, you could do the emoji <laughs> if you if you move it in transit and whatnot. But like, you know, you know, I'm going to need that. I'm like, does that work for you? And I'm like, can I get a thumbs up from everybody? And that small request is a micro commitment. You never agree to this. We're on this train now. And then when I run through this agenda really quick, we're going to have the information you need to know. And I'm really big now on how can we maximize this meeting? How can we front load any of the information that they need to know? Right? To make sure the meeting is truly about crystal clear communication, but also to that has some conflict in it. We have a meeting where everyone agrees with something that wasn't a good meeting, in my opinion. Like someone's gonna say, like, I don't think, like, tell me why that would work. Or even better, instead of saying why that would work, what would lead you to think that works? Because why is accusatory? And I found that out in sales calls. People get real defensively and say, well, why is your system the way it is? So I think that goes to having, once again, purpose be your your North Star, not the objective, not the outcomes, but the purpose. Amen. So we're going to transition. We're going to tiptoe to Hugh number three. And when I was thinking through this, as I was getting ready for our conversation today, it, it reminded me of a course I was just taking within my doctorate um, and this notion of, of why is um, change so hard. Uh, it, it helped me reflect on this one because in order to create space to learn something new, you have to come unpack maybe the other pieces that you had in the luggage that you felt comfortable with. So for our audience, uh, number three is is rethinking and it's unloading the old and creating space to download the new. So again, I'm going to turn the keys over to my brother, Corey. And again, walk us through kind of this, this piece for you. What does it mean for you? How does it show up in your day to day? Yeah. Uh, so when the pandemic happened, uh, Adam Grant was a good social psychologist out of Warden. Uh, love the dude. He's put out some really good books. He's actually, I gave one of the books to my brother and he's helped, you know, filling with his business. But he had this book called Think Again, right? And he said the best skill for any leader moving forward now will be the ability to drop what does not work and learn something new. But the problem is, from my personal side, I believe that when you figure out you're wrong, a part of you has to die in order for that truth to now move forward, right? If I thought the world was this way and the sky was blue, the moment I, or the sky was purple, the moment I figure that out, that part of me who thought the sky was this color has to go away to make space because there's only so much space for you now to have your new reality. And I think a lot of times is, um, I think when people tell me no, I now ask them what metric or what, what metric would you need to change your mind or what piece of data 
was you need to change your mind on this subject matter. And even if you're a zealot, even if you're like, absolutely like, this is the thing, is there anything on this planet I can give you that would change your mind about this? This is huge in politics. This is huge in education. And if that person tells you no, that's not a logical conversation anymore. That's an emotional conversation. Because uh, Jeb Blunt, a uh, real good sales guy, been in for about 25 years, he stated that all objections are emotional first and logic second. And then it's easier to say no to something than it is to say yes. So I think for us as leaders, when we think about how are we rethinking this of the way we lead, it is a little bit of that. You need to have some, um, disassociate yourself from the role, the person, and what you want. And so the ability to rethink, you know, I need to maybe shift that over. And also, too, it helps with your team if you're constantly rethinking, and it's different from second-guessing yourself. Because I, I, can, I can see people making that parallel. Second-guessing is you're unsure about this information and you're doing this. But rethinking is, hey, I closed 15 deals this year. Now I need to figure out how can I do that faster, smoother, and with less time. I'm going to rethink that process. Right? It doesn't mean that process is wrong, but it's just another way to improve it. And so I often ask myself and I ask friends, like, you know, when we have good conversations over uh, a nice piece of wine, nice, nice glass of wine, I ask them, like, when was the last time you were wildly wrong? More importantly, what did you do afterwards? Because one, it normalizes failure because in our society, you got to be perfect 100% of the time. But in reality, if you are correct 80% of the time, you are a world-class operator, no matter what field you're in, right? 70% of the time, you're still really good. And, you know, 50%, you're probably about average because it is average. But I think when it comes to rethinking for leaders, you need to be able to understand, or at least have the leeway with your team to say, this is an area I'm challenging myself on. I welcome you to do the same. Because then your team feels comfortable playing with new ideas and not just doing the work. Because I think very much more often than we uh, like to realize is we think we pay people to execute. We really don't. I pay people for their judgment. And if your judgment is always in fear of being correct 100% of the time, you're going to have, you're going to take less and less risk. You're going to do less and less things for that piece. So if you can rethink as a leader, it's going to allow you to allow your staff to do the same thing. And I'll give one parallel that Adam gives in his book. Um, it's really good. I'm not going to ruin the book for you. It's only in the first chapter. It was a bunch of firefighters fighting a fire in California. And the chief said, like, yo, this is out of control. We need to do something different. But they've been trained from, you know, the last eight years. They've been training like this. You walk around with 60 pounds of gear, and they can't outrun this fire. And so he's like, look, we need to stop. We need to create a fire in front of us to take the oxygen away from the things that are chasing us. And that's counterintuitive as a firefighter. But he felt at this moment, what we're doing right now is not working. So doing more of that is not going to work. So what he did was he set a fire. He dropped his chainsaw. That was against protocol. He dropped all this fire protector gear. And he high-tailed it. And he told his team to do the same thing. Team disagreed. About, I want to say, three-fourths of that group did not make it out that fire. And when they found their bodies, they found them in their fire retardant blankets with their full assortment of chainsaws and all this other training that they had that in normal circumstances, that would have worked then. But this situation changed. Just like the pandemic has changed the workforce. The pandemic has changed how people come into office. The pandemic has changed how we communicate, whether it's over Zoom or in person or in text or email. It's changed all those things. So the quicker you can be able to say, like, assess, does this work? Yes, no. If it does, great. Why? How can I do better? If it doesn't, let me figure out another path forward that makes me a bit more efficient as a thinker and also uh, just a more approachable leader. Because if your leader is able to admit when they're wrong, which I've 
very rarely here, to be honest with you. When the last time you heard your president like, I messed up there. I could have been better there. Next time I'm going to do X, Y, Z. That's just the tone. Then people don't approach, you know, like, oh, man, I messed up on this email. I'm so sorry. Versus I'm not going to tell you about it unless you correct me on it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you kind of normalizing failure. Um, and I would say even before that, the notion of normalizing calculated risk taking, right? Trying new things um, and creating an environment where if it doesn't work, if it fails, if a mistake happens, that that is a part of the process, right? And that nobody that that you or I know has ever always been 100% successful in any idea or any new initiative that they've launched. Um, there are things that we can learn from a variety of pieces, including instances where we stumble. So as we transition to close, I wanna, I wanna come to this piece and ask you a question. You've shared a lot of gems across thinking through how we communicate, whether it's feedback or how we sell ourselves or an idea, the art form of how we gather in space, and even in our last piece with rethinking, right? Have you more recently, and you've dropped some dimes from whether it's Jeb Blunt or Adam Grant, so I know that you were always learning, but has there been a new piece of leadership that you've been more recently kind of uh, presented with? A new theme that you're thinking about adding to your arsenal? Or is there something that as impactful as Corey has been, as successful of a season that you've had in sales, is there a piece of your leadership that you're like, you know what? It's still a work in progress. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't made it. Oftentimes it's a struggle. This is the one that I'm I'm continuing to work on that I hope I can become competent in. I hope and I hope I can gain mastery in. Which which one would you want to share with our audience today? One thought that for me personally that I want to improve in is I need to be a little bit more ruthless about my time and also the processes that I have to uh, amplify my time. And so one of the things that um, I was talking about with one of our other clients, and they said, like, you know, I like your program because it's my workforce multiplier, right? I don't have to hire anybody new, but I'm going to be able to do more with the same amount. And so for me, it's like, what can I do that in my personal life? So one of the things we started doing, my personal life is we started, instead of I love to cook, but it takes so much time for me right now, about 10 to 15 hours a week of cooking and cleaning, because, you know, I do both, right? And so for me, uh, I realized if I got 10 to 15 hours back in my life, I could do work on the gym. I can, you know, read another book. I can absorb more knowledge in that time on that piece. So that's something I really want to work at. And then another thing is thinking about how we can build systems on the flip side is this is, um, I like to look at people who sell ideas in other spaces. So Alex Ramosi is a real big guy in the gym scene space. So he, he puts out some absolute devastating dimes on business scaling business that most people think to scale business, we need to do everything underneath the sun. He makes the argument that you need to reverse that and flip that and figure out what are the what is your sweet spot or your niche where you can truly dominate. And I think for us as a foundation, I think that is a major growing space that we are now getting to that space where we are more of a marketplace expert rather than we're doing everything underneath the sun. We're going to cure this. We're going to do this. I'm like, nah, dog. I'm going to be like the dude from Taken. I'm going to do one thing. I do it really well and I will find you and I will sell, right? So I think for me, it gets to that point of one, being efficient with the time. And two, on the other side is thinking about what systems and programs can I invest in to save me time? One thing I did this year, I um, 
uh, purchased a CRM just for myself at work. So it's detached from everybody else, but this CRM is annoying. It nags. It's like, hey, you emailed this person three days ago. They responded. You didn't get back to them. Bloop, there you go. Hey, all these people are interconnected. Hey, you can build all this stuff. So there for me, I'm like, that was a system that freed up time for me. And then that paid off in dividends because the year before, we only did eight deals. The year before that, we only did three. Now we've done more in one year than we did in the last two years. So imagine what happens if you keep rethinking your model. Ends on a dime. So I want to make sure that as we conclude that I thank you for our friendship, from our dual mentee-mentor relationship, the time that we've shared, not only in the profession, but even as our careers have gone down different paths uh, and we've navigated different chapters, uh, you've continued to inspire not only me, but but the queen, our household, uh, and how you show up, uh, how you continue to digest new information, uh, even if it's in terms of the rethinking model, but continue to progress to be a better version of yourself than you were the day before. And so I appreciate your time today and sharing these hues with the audience. And I'm super excited about uh, them getting all the information that they gleam out of the conversation today. I hope when they're listening, they got the pen out, they got the paper out. Uh, I'm old school, so I still use pen and paper. Uh, my brother can tell you if, if, if you all could see me, I have a pen in my hand right now because I've been taking notes as he's been dropping dimes. Uh, other other folks may be a little bit more advanced with their technologies as my brother Corey is. So you may have something that's pulling the ideas and the gems out as you're listening. But again, my brother, thank you so much for your time today and, and, and for blessing our audience. I really appreciate it. I think if anything, it's the ability to share, but also learn. And then even for me now, I'm thinking back like, ah, if we do this again, I need to do this. If we do this again, if I talk about the Adam Grant piece, I got to talk about this concept. If I talk about the communication piece, I got to do that. So this is definitely a good source of professional development. And if you make it every part of your normal day, it's not professional development. It's just part of what you do. So to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or you're transitioning between meetings, should I say purposeful, intentional meetings, as you transition into professional development time you have for yourself each day or each week, or as you transition in between work and the time you'll have with your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating these hues that Brother Corey dropped for us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hues of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what hues will I use today and which will I seek to further develop?